It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Scott Beebe. Scott is the founder and head coach of MyBusinessOnPurpose.com. Scott Beebe, welcome to the show. Andy, delighted, man. This is exciting. Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year, yeah. For yeah, Ironically, this is, this is going to air in April, but uh, yeah, it is yeah. New Year when we're, when we're recording it. And uh, yes, Happy New Year to you as well. We were just commiserating about the fact that you live in South Carolina and you have to uh, watch Clemson football, saturate the airwaves night and day, and uh, as an alum of, of UNC. So uh, yeah. we don't know yet who's going to win the game, the championship game. Though uh, I'm sure there are people listening that are rooting on both sides. So Right, right. So hopefully by the time this airs, then we will be clean in the free that Clemson has lost the game. And I'm teasing for all the Tigers. Well, I'm half teasing, I should half say. Half teasing, anyway. I would say. I would think yeah. state loyalty would override everything. It does. But, it does. All right. Yeah, I don't have a dog in that fight, but it'll be a fun game to watch. So, um, so take a minute, maybe just fill out that brief introduction I gave you. Um, talk about yourself, how you got started, and, and how you ended up doing what you're doing today. Yeah, Andy. So I tell people that I've got a very, very nonlinear blueprint to how I got to where I'm at today. I, I'm a mutt. I grew up all over the country. My dad's an engineer, so we just followed the work. Mm-hmm. And then ended up going uh, to the University of South Carolina uh, in the mid nineties and walked on the football team. It only played one year of high school football. And I don't know what the wild hair was. I found one little niche called the role of the deep snapper. And I had tried it in high school. I was really bad at it actually. And uh, barely lettered, hardly even played, honestly, my, my senior year of high school, which was my only year. And I found out they only had one player on the team that could deep snap and division one sec schools would always travel to, and so my roommate was a manager, and he would bring footballs home at night. We'd practice in the uh, the cinder block dorm hallways. <laughs> and uh, for about, I don't know, golly, six months, practiced and practiced and practiced. Walked on the team, ended up making the team as a walk-on, played my, my first uh, year about five games in, my uh, uh, the, the first string guy went out with his arm hanging out of socket. And so here I am in Baton Rouge at LSU, snapping the first – Football I'd ever snapped in a live game at an SEC game in Baton Rouge, and so on a punter was, on a punter field goal. Uh, that was actually on a punt. Was my first one to a guy named Eddie Kennison, who was the return guy yeah. who played in the NFL for God, yeah. like fifteen years or so. Wait, he was and, a punter. Uh, he was the return man for LSU. Oh, right. So I snapped it to our oh, punter. Oh, they punted punter to him, right? Kennison. Yeah. And uh, he ran down, man, he gave me a juke, put me on my back. And uh, it was, you know, what a fun ride. Ended up getting a scholarship my third and fourth year uh, because our first string guy graduated and uh, was next in line and earned the starting spot there. And so graduated there, ended up going to seminary uh, out of the University of South Carolina in Fort Worth um, at a seminary out there. And graduated a theology student three years later while I was working in business. So I was mm-hmm. actually working for a division of Thomson Reuters, sure. um, selling reference materials to CPAs and CFPs <laughs> while I was getting a theology degree. Right. And then left, left there to go work for Pfizer. So graduated in 01, went to work for Pfizer for a few years. Couldn't figure out how to integrate faith and work. I was really wrestling with that. Then went to work for a church. 
for about five and a half years, then wanted to work back for Pfizer for about another six years, and then was the executive director of a non-governmental organization working in Nigeria for a couple of years. And so two years ago, um, in 2015, uh, we had this kind of internal coup going with the board there, and I found myself, Andy, one day uh, unemployed. I was 39 years old. My position was dissolved because eight out of the nine board members had resigned on the spot mm-hmm. because of the issue they were dealing with. Right. And they were responsible for my role. And so they had to define, uh, dissolve my role. And so I had a little severance. I invested half of it in a business coach, had never started a business in my life. Sure. Two years ago, we started the Business on Purpose platform where we liberate small business owners from the chaos of working in their business. That's what we get to do every day. Well, so that's that's sort of a, a good segue because you know the the phrase you use, working in their businesses, you know, off too often you hear about entrepreneurs working on their business as opposed to working in their business. So, you know, what is sort of this biggest challenge you think the entrepreneurs face today that that they need to really address? I mean, the, the biggest issue. You know, Andy, you and I talked about. Um, at the mid cap level. So let's take these 10, 50, 100, 500 million dollar companies. What you have a lot of times in those setups is you've got a full C suite, right? You've got the CEO, you got the CFO, the CMO, and sure, all the way down. It's small business owners who are running revenues of 500,000 to 5 million, let's say, and these are sure. nice sized businesses. They're yeah. going to have 5, 10, 15 employees. You've got a CEO and then no middle band. Right. It's all gone. So your CEO plays CMO, CTO. C- I mean, the, the whole C-suite essentially is one person. And so the big struggle, the big challenge, and, and we've got clients who are five to 10 to 10, our, our biggest clients a $50 million company, but we don't have many of those. We really do focus in on the half million to about a $10 million mm-hmm. range. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of those, they find themselves playing every role in the team. They're quarterback, center, sure. running back, wide receiver, the whole thing. And, and so they're having to do it. They're having to, cause they don't have cash flow to hire a bunch of people. And frankly, they don't want the headaches right. that go with it. That's why they remain the size that they do. But here's what I found. And I just had this conversation earlier this week with a guy who's been in business, very well known in his space. Mm-hmm. He's been in business in this industry for about a decade. He's okay. got more revenue. He knows what to do with quite literally. He's got incredible influence. And I asked him one simple question. I said, do you know where you're going with your business? And he goes, like when? And I said, let's call it three years. Do you know where you want your business to be in three years? And he goes, I've never written it down. I mean, I said, I I got, I could talk to you about it for an hour, but but I've never written it down. The one gap that I'm seeing over and over and over, Andy, is that small business owners don't know where they want their business to go. And I've been out in a boat in the middle of the ocean. And I'm telling you, I don't want to be out in a really nice, expensive boat out in the middle of the ocean unless I know where I'm going and I know I've got gas to get there. Because that is a, a dangerous uh, place to be, both in changing conditions and also eventually when you're out in the middle of the ocean, we live right on the ocean. When you're out in the middle of the ocean, you run out of gas. Man, that's, not, that's not a fun place to be. No, and no. that's essentially what a small business owner is without a vision and story written out. Well, so a couple obvious, obvious questions, at least obvious for me, that come out of that is, is, is first of all, you know, this whole idea about where they want to be in three years, you really can't separate where they want to be from themselves and the company. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like those two really go hand in hand, especially, you know, with an entrepreneur of the company of that size. So that's one issue we're going to come back and talk about. The other one then, too, is is you just mentioned this whole idea about the vision without a vision. Is Do you find that, you know, entrepreneurs are starting business 
don't they have to have a vision? I mean, mm, what's, what's, what's driving them to start the business if not a vision? Yeah. So a lot of times what's driving them to start the biz- vision or uh, the business is what uh, Michael Gerber would have called the classic e-myth, right? So you've got somebody who's great at, ah, let's take you, Andy. So somebody says, Andy, man, you are a great sales guy. I mean, you're a great sales guy. You know what you ought to do? You ought to start your own sales training business. And you go, man, I should start my own sales training business. I ought to do that. So you get into it. You love sales. You love training. You love business. You love all of it. And so you're training. And then all all of a sudden, one day you wake up and you go, I need to send somebody an invoice. And so you send them an invoice. And then you go, I need a system for sending invoices. And then you go, I don't know that they paid the invoice. And then they pay the invoice. You've got to collect on the invoice. You've got to take the the check to the bank. And you've got to do all of this stuff that you never intended to do when you got into business. You got into business going, I just want to train people on sales, man. That's, that's, Mm -hmm. That's the fun stuff. But then there's the entire back-end administrative stuff that nobody ever thinks about. We don't think about client type. We don't think about any of this. And so most people, uh, in my experience, they get into business not because they've got a compelling vision of the future, but they feel like they can serve somebody right now. That's not bad, but you got to have both ends. You've got to understand, yes, I've got a marketable service today, there's no doubt about it, but what do I want this thing to become years down the road? Because if you don't define that it's no getting in a car and not having an ultimate destination you just start driving sure. around sure. not knowing where you're going right right well that makes sense so you mentioned the family thing too because those those things are they're they're uh, they're connected you know somebody will say well it's just business heck no it's not just business absolutely not those things business life faith family all those things connect and so it's why when i have somebody draft out a vision story i actually believe in a vision story and not a vision statement I want your vision story to be long, drawn out. I want to see detail of what that thing looks like. The very first section after finding the term is family and freedom. I want to know what do you see in 18 months, three years, six years, whatever your vision term is. I want to know what do you want your freedom to look like? Because ultimately that's going to drive how much money you make, what time of product you offer to make that money, the people you hire to serve the product, to make the money, to provide the freedom. So we start there. Well, and is that too long of a time frame? I mean, I think that one of the things that you know you see more and more in planning is that that hey, if you get beyond ninety days, it's everything's a guesswork, right? So, you know, what what is solid and what's yeah, you know, what's a good solid time frame, I guess, to to really yeah. realistically plan. So we've actually done this is kind of bizarre, and and part of this goes to my my study as a theology student, but we've actually done research on more ancient Jewish cultures. And we look back at compelling visions that are written in Jewish literature. What were the stages of term of vision for those? And I realize technology's changed everything, everything moves faster, et cetera. But we look back, one of the, the shortest amount of time frames of what we classified as compelling vision was about six months. The longest we really found was about six years. Now I'm sure there's, there's some that are longer and some that are shorter. But over and over again, we found that about six months and anecdotally six to six months to six years tends to be a nice uh, perspective as it relates to vision. All right. So the difference between a vision, long term vision story and a near term goal, uh, strategic objective, whatever you want to call it, is that strategic objective can be accomplished in three weeks or nine weeks or 12 weeks or something. Mm -hmm. But a compelling vision of the future, like for instance, somebody may have a a compelling vision of the future where today they draw $300,000 of revenue, but in six years, they want to draw a million dollars of revenue. You 
you're not going to get there in 12 weeks. No. Um, or if you do, you may not do it legally. And so they want to they want to have something out there to where they can really strive for and say, this is where we want to go in this term of time. And so there's a lot of things pictorially that you want to be. You got to have maturity uh, or allow things to mature to a certain level. And that's what we're pushing people to start to see is that vision story down the road. So maturity defined as what? Just the business maturity or the personal maturity? Uh, in, well, in the different categories that we talk about. So financial maturity, you got to allow mm-hmm. time for the finances to mature the product maturity. So people say, uh, you know, kind of the classic thing, well, I'm not ready to launch yet because the product's not here, here. Uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, you launch now the product mm-hmm. will develop over time. Uh, the personnel maturity, for instance, in our business vision, which is a six year vision, 2021 from when we wrote it, we actually have six virtual team members in our vision. Now, I couldn't go out and get six virtual team members the day we started. I didn't need them. We didn't have clients to be able to support that. But in six years, based on the the services we wanted to offer to the type of client we wanted to offer, the revenue we wanted to do, this is the personnel it's going to take to get there. So in those categories, we've got to see that maturity. Okay. So you said you're looking for detail in the vision, a story. And so how Mm -hmm. does the vision differ from a mission statement? Yeah. Great question. So if your vision story is the detailed snapshot of what the future looks like, that's how we define it. The mission statement is a portable snippet from your vision story that drives you out of bed every morning. I mean, this is what, man, when you wake up, you go, this is what I'm going to do. So the example of my mission is to liberate small business owners from the chaos, chaos of working in their business. That's what drives. I get excited about that because I see so many small business owners literally in chaos. It's I got to go here. I got to go here. I got to cancel this. I got to. And I say, no, 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 no. Let's liberate you from that. And that's that's the snapshot, the elevator pitch, if you will, maybe. But the vision stories when I sit down with my team like we did Monday morning and I say, all right, guys, let's recalibrate. Remember, in now in uh, about four years, this is where we want to end up. And so mm-hmm. they've got this snapshot of the future, but now they know from the mission statement what drives us out of bed every morning. It's a portable phrase to take with you of sure. what you see in the vision story down the road. So what dictates then, it seems like, is there conflict between the two? Because which one really drives the decision-making that you make as a, as a business then? Yeah, great question. So ultimately, there's two things that drive the decision-making and one more emotional thing that drives the decision-making. So your vision story and what we call your unique core values, those are what drive day-to-day decision-making. So what are what are unique core values? Yeah, all right. So the difference between standard core values and unique core values are this. A standard core value would be something like integrity, responsibility. Man, Andy, if you don't have integrity or I don't have integrity, we don't need to be right. doing business, period. Like right. that's the low barrier to entry to the human race. Okay. Um, and, and integrity, responsibility, excellence, all those things we typically hear as standard core values. What I want to know is what do you, Andy, value that me, Scott, I may not value. It's not wrong that you value it, but I just don't value it. So let me give you an example. We've got a client who recently put together a a unique core value list. And usually we shoot for three, four, or five because we want them memorizable. Mm -hmm. And so one of his core values is clutch performance. Now, Andy, I got to be honest with you, man. I am not into clutch performances. I don't want to win the game on the last second. I want to win it in the second quarter and ride out the rest. Right. Yeah. And so, but this guy lives on it. He's a high D personality on the disc profile. He lives for last second shots. Well, that's a great example of something that he values. I don't value it. It's not wrong. 
He likes it. That's good. But it's something he values that I don't. Now, so what's the real play on that in day-to-day decision-making? Well, he's a concrete contractor. Concrete, when you're pouring concrete, man, it's all last second. I mean, <laughs> I it's just, it dries. <laughs> you know? And so when they make decision-making, they make it through the filtration system of those, he's got four, of those four unique core values that they've got laid out. Um, got another guy, he's a home builder, builds $2 million to $5 million homes. One of his core values is edgy. Well, when you walk into one of his homes and compare that to some of the other homes in the same neighborhood, right away you get it. I mean, you just get it. And so when he's making decisions on interior trim and molding and all of these things, he's making it based on his core values. And it's what separates him. And by the way, it's what he uses in his sales messaging because that's what separates him as well. Yeah, which makes me think back to the concrete contractor. I, I I get the edgy. I don't. I don't get the first one. I don't see that as a, a value that's that's uh, related to the business. In terms of a value proposition to the customer, I mean, if if you're trying to sell me something, even as a a concrete contractor, but let's take any other business, and you're trying to say one of your you know core tenets of your value proposition is is clutch performance. It's like, yeah, I don't think we're a match because uh, you know we shouldn't be in that situation where we need a clutch performance. Well, here's, here's where it fits in his world. He deals with general contractors all day who live and die by deadlines. I mean, they live and die by deadlines. In fact, they're both bonused, incentivized, and also penalized based sure. on the deadlines met or not met. And so what he's telling his customers in a sales messaging from the concrete standpoint is we live by clutch performances. When it's time for us to be there, we will be there. We're not going to be sitting there waiting for you for two or three days. When you tell us to be there, if it's last second, we're going to be there for you. And so it's, it's actually resonated really well from a messaging standpoint. But you bring up another great point, Andy. See, if he were to sell to you, you would go, the, the statement you made was we're not a match for each other. That's the other thing your unique core values need to do. If somebody sits down with this home builder and says, ooh, he values edgy. I don't know that I value that. Perfect. Because mm-hmm. you're not a great client for him. Um, right. And so it actually, again, everybody believes in integrity. But when you tell me you believe in edge and I'm not an edgy guy, you've also told me you're not my builder. And that's okay because we probably wouldn't sure. have gotten, gotten along in the first place. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're really looking at these unique core values. And they, to me, it sounds like a way of really sort of defining your ideal client profile. Absolutely. And, and you also both receive and turn away business um, due to it. So we had a, another cu- a customer, home builder sure. as well, actually built in the same neighborhood. So about a million dollar homes in this case. And the developer of the neighborhood asked, we would like to go into a uh, partnership and do spec homes, really nice million dollar spec homes. Well, the business owner came back, we met, and he was really struggling with it. And here's why, is because one of his core values was fiscal responsibility. And the way they defined it was no debt. See, this builder was in no debt. They owe nobody anything. Well, if they were to go in on this project, they were going to have to pony up about half the money, and they didn't have that laying around in cash uh, because it was so expensive. And so their core values told them this was not going to be a fit project for them, even though the sales of these spec homes were a slam dunk in the market, total Mm -hmm. slam dunk. They would have made their money back and more. And in fact, those homes have been built and sold since then and have made their money back. They decided to go sit down with the developer and tell them, I want to do this job. The problem is our core values is defined will not allow us to do this. And the developer, t- and, and he even told the developer, I'm scared to death to tell you this because I'm afraid you're not going to hire us for anything else. 
the developer turned around and said, listen, because you've used your core values, we've never seen anybody come in and do this with us. Because you use your core values, we, we, we understand why you're telling us no. But we also you need to understand that we're going to come back and ask you to do more deals because we realize that you really do live by these things. Well, and there's yeah, and that's that is one of the key things I think about the unique core values you talk about, and, and I think this goes to not just entrepreneurs, but for anybody listening to the show that maybe is aspiring to build their own business, or if you're in sales, where it's essentially an entrepreneurial task that you're undertaking, maybe for the you know for a corporation, but you're still out there representing people on your own is. You got to have these these core values. I mean, not just the standard values you talked about, integrity and so on. Those are absolutely essential. But people have to know what you stand for. Yeah, and they and, and again, they've got to know what you stand for in contrast to what that guy stands for. Yeah, um, because they're they're very different uh, in in terms of what you value versus you know some people. We we live in the southeast. Uh, if you live in the southeast, man, it's almost a birthright that you have to value hunting and fishing, right? Well, there's some <laughs> and, people and around S- here who don't at all. Yeah, in NASCAR. That's right. And there's there's people around here that just don't. Uh, it's not that they're mad at you for hunting and fishing. They just don't value it. They don't put their money there. They don't put their time there, uh, even though there's a perception that that's what everybody values. And so I need to know, and you, you need to know from me, and I need to know from, uh, from you what we value. We owe that to each other if we're going to do business together. Well, it's a differentiator. Uh, I think that people are looking you know, in a, in a world that's really noisy and crowded with information is mm-hmm. people are looking for those things to say, yeah, quickly make a decision about who they want to do business with or who they want to be aligned with. And yeah, those differentiators, it's really important to get those up front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen it work over and over again. We've even seen people um, make more money on projects. We had an architect out in San Francisco who was working with a bakery and stuck by his his uh, proposals, I think a $23,000 project, it's a number in my head, and the client came back and said, can you do it for 18? Because that's where all the other bids came in. And this guy had a people-pleasing, uh, persuasive personality. So he always gave in. He would always reduce his uh, his proposal based on other proposals. Well, this time, because we had just worked through his core values, he made a decision. He decided to stick by his core values. I don't remember what, what the core value was. But he told the bakery client, he said, listen, I've got this core value. And so I just, I've got to stick by my price because what we quoted you is what it's going to take to get the job done. And sure enough, he got full price for it. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up paying for all of his coaching from that one engagement simply because he stood by his core values. That's it. Yeah. Sounds like you should raise your price. <laughs> it's just so fun to see those, those success stories come out when people actually just, they abide by what you coach them on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I think of somebody and I, coach people as well. I mean, it's, it's uh, always gratifying when people write back to you and say, yeah, yeah, it worked. I did what you said. And it, it worked. <laughs> but I mean, I think the same thing is true of, of people in sales is, you know, when you sell something to somebody and they put it to use in their business and it works, that's why you keep on doing it. Yeah. And I, I think the unique core values and, and the vision are especially important in sales because th- there are so many times in sales. I mean, I worked for Pfizer for eight, eight years total, I think it was in the sales realm. And there's so many times you can compromise value in the sales world because you don't have somebody looking over your shoulder all the time. Um, it's not a, you know, you know the, the, the way that you maintain widgets or whatever, that's very methodical. It's very automatic, but selling is, is maneuverable. It's all over the place. And so you may not necessarily have guidelines where your core values, what I tell people about unique core values, they're the curbs along the side of the road 
of the road you're taking to get to your vision. The core values are there to kind of keep you on the road. Now, you can jump your core values if you want to. You just better make sure you know where you're at. If you're in the middle of Texas and there's a pasture out there, man, feel free. Jump your core values. That's all right. But if you're going over the bridge to Hilton Head where I live, near where I live, you better not jump the curb or you're going to die. And so you uh, need to know where you're at when you when you decide to violate your own core values. Well, yeah, which raises the question is what would be the situation that ever justify abandoning your, your unique core values? Yeah, sure. So let's go back to the uh, to the client that uh, has fiscal responsibility as his core value, as is as is uh, defined by no debt. Mm-hmm. You come up with a situation um, to where they're in a pinch, the economy's gone south, and there simply is no other way. They have to borrow money to meet cash flow or okay. payroll. I mean, they, right. or the business goes out. At that point, you got to look around and go, okay, what's the damage if we violate our core value in this situation? Damage isn't that bad. Let's violate it. Let's let's do it in this situation. So again, that's why I like the idea, the 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 metaphor that core values are curves because you can always jump curves if you need to, but just know you're going to do some damage when you do it. You just need to figure out what's the damage that's going to be done, and if it's minor damage, fixable, okay, uh, then you can do that. You know. Okay. All right. So, uh, Scott, we're coming to the last segment of the show. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure, sure, with your experience, you're more than capable of answering these questions. So, the first one is a hypothetical scenario. You've just been hired as a VP of sales by a company whose sales have stalled out. And they're looking to do a sales reset, sales turnaround. So, what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? You know, this is going to sound like a broken record. Um, the very first thing that I would do is vision, mission, values together. I want to know where do you see this division in X period of time? What what is the term of that? And we need to we need to articulate the details of what that looks like. We need to give a one sentence again portable statement that's going to motivate salespeople to get out of bed in the morning. And we've mm-hmm. got to create the barriers along the way. So step number one is the vision, mission, values. Step number two right. is I would mandate that we have what I would call a meetings map in place. All right. So the second most important thing for any business to have in place next to their vision, mission values is their meetings structure. And here's why is because if you don't have a solid meeting structure in place and you don't have solid agenda and the right participants, meeting costs, all that kind of stuff in place, then your means of communication becomes unpredictable. Unpredictable communication leads to micromanagement. And so if you've got a predictable question like, hey, how are you coming on your sales goals? That's a predictable question. You should mm-hmm. be able to ask that question. And you ask it at a predictable time, the weekly sales meeting, you're good. You're not a micromanager. If you ask a predictable question, how are your sales goals coming? At an unpredictable time, Thursday afternoon at 224, now you've tensed me up as the sales guy. I, I, I wasn't expecting it. I don't even know why you're asking it. And all of a sudden, I feel like you're micromanaging me. The flip side of that is if you ask an unpredictable question at a predictable time, Uh, for instance, hey, uh, what do you think your 2018 sales targets are going to be? Whoa, whoa. (laughs) that's an unpredictable. I wouldn't even I don't even know how to answer that at this stage of the game. Now that feels like micromanagement to me. And so your meeting structure provides communication. Culture gets built through that. Accountability gets managed through the meeting structure. And so those are the first two things that I would say. Vision, mission, values, 
and have your meetings structure in place. Okay. All right. Good. So uh, more rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers if you want. So when you, Scott Beebe, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Mm, yeah, I love this question. So persuasiveness, hands down. You're probably a fellow I. I am too. And so persuasiveness. Okay. Who's your sales role model? Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar. Uh, just to listen, I can. I still listen to him uh, on podcasts. You know, obviously he's passed away, but yeah, on the Zig Ziglar live, podcast, yeah, yeah uh, I still I still listen to him because he's just so influential in my mind. Okay, so what's one book every salesperson should read? So I, I, I really wrestled through this question because I, I think this is something that um, that there's there's sales books. But this is not a sales book, and it's actually a very That's recent fine. book I, I just read. Is uh, Phil Knight's Shoe Dog? Right. Um, it, it just powerful in terms of just dogging it through, man. I mean, he just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed over a decade before he got any traction. Pardon the pun, but before he <laughs> yeah. got any traction, uh, and, and Nike took off. It is a fantastic read. All right. Yeah, Shoe Dog. Excellent. All right. So, last question: What music's on your playlist these days? Yeah. So, uh, one of my favorite is Amos Lee. Uh, oh, I, I think Amos, Amos Lee. Lee is just yeah. a chill, laid back guy. And he actually did time at the university of South Carolina. So he's one of my faves. Oh, he did. I didn't know that. I wish yeah, I just a little bit. I don't know that he graduated, but, uh, between him and, and of course we got to pull for Darius Rucker. He's a hometown boy. So he's hometown. Uh, he's hometown. Yep. I, yeah. I've seen Amos in, in concert a couple of times. So, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amos yeah. Lee is my guy. All right. Excellent. Well, Scott, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, tell people what they can find out more about you and connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. Just head on over to mybusinessonpurpose.com. And uh, we've got tools and resources and all kinds of stuff. And if you want to read more about vision, mission, and values, you can go to fourstepstobusinessfreedom.com. It's all spelled out, all in words, fourstepstobusinessfreedom.com. Okay. Excellent. Well, again, thanks, Scott. And friends, thank you for spending time with us. Remember to make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Scott Beebe, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.